Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. So many scriptures about peace, and today is Peace Sunday with um, tomorrow being Remembrance Day, and I'd like to focus on peace today. Three aspects of peace that Christ brings to us in particular. Jesus brings us peace with God. He is that that, that binding agent that brings us to God. He is the peace that shares with each of us, that allows us to have peace with each other. And then Jesus brings us peace within ourselves. And we need all of those three senses of peace, a peace with God, others, and ourselves, for us really to, to walk in peace, to live a life of peace. So let's first talk about peace with God, and uh, one of my favorite scriptures, and perhaps one of yours as well, John 3.16, is really a scripture about peace. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ. This is the verdict, and we're going to be celebrating this in just just a little over a month's time as Christmas is here. Light has come to the world, but men have loved darkness instead of light because their their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may be seen plainly and what he does has been done through God. Let's live as people of light. People of light. And people of peace. So these verses were revolutionary at their time and they still are today. God has done incredible things. And he has done justice and brought peace to his people, to his people who come to him out of darkness into light. When Jesus said this scripture to Nicodemus, I don't think Nicodemus had any idea of the impact that this scripture, that these words would have on the world. In Jesus' statement, he explains exactly how we could obtain peace with God and having a personal one-to-one relationship with Christ. We can achieve peace with God personally. We're no longer dependent on an intermediary, such as a prophet or a high priest, someone to intercede. There's no one between us and God. And I think as Christians, we, we, we don't think about that very much, but, but there are many people who, who believe in God in other religions, and even in some types of Christianity who believe that there's someone between them and God. And that, that's an issue when it comes to peace. We have peace with God because we are one with him. After Christ rose, he appeared to the disciples. And what was the thing that he said most often to them after his resurrection? He said, peace be with you. Peace be with you. Has anyone ever said that to you? Peace be with you? It's kind of a beautiful thing. I, pr- I think I've heard, what's up? A whole lot more than peace be with you. Maybe we should try it. What would happen if you got to work on Monday and you saw your coworker and you said, Jeff's in the garage there at BMW, and he says, 
Peace be with you. I think they'd probably shake their head and say, can I get you a coffee or <laughs> peace be with you? Zechariah prophesied about Jesus, saying that he would put people's feet on the path of peace. Are your feet on the path of peace? Everything surrounding Jesus is touched with peace. So let's remember the nature of our Savior Jesus Christ, who is called the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace. What a beautiful name. What a beautiful name it is. And our Prince of Peace has come that he would bring us peace and make us peacemakers. He has brought us peace with himself, and then he brings us peace with others. Luke 6, 27, But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. These are, these are difficult scriptures. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to them the other. If someone takes your cloak, do not stop them from taking your, your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Isn't scripture revolutionary? Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners do that. Verse 34, and if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But, this is one of those big buts of the Bible, but love your enemies. Do good to them. And lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be sons of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father in heaven is merciful. Powerful scriptures, powerful scriptures about peacemaking and how we are to live, how we are to loan, what we are to expect, how we are to love and how we are to forgive. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. That's a difficult scripture. My goodness, that's a difficult scripture. I think some of us want to go back to the good Old Testament times when, when, when we hear God say, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, and we just kind of want to... We kind of want to get what we get back until we, when we actually hear what we said, because it says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's not ours personally. God, God is the judge, not us. Our job is to be peacemakers. We are commanded to forgive. We are commanded to love and pray for those who might even hate us. God reconciled the world through his death, and now we are agents of reconciliation. You are a secret agent. And this is your task, if you will accept it, to reconcile the world to God and to be a representative of Jesus Christ, bringing peace to the world. That's your secret job. That's your calling. Whether you're a teacher, a doctor, a lawyer, a cabinet maker, or a grower of grapes, that's your real job, to be a reconciler of people to God. When I was a young teenager, I, I did what I am going to do this week. I cleaned dishes for Jesus. I worked on Thetis Island. It was an island between Vancouver and the, uh, the mainland and Vancouver Island. Um, and on that little island was a, a mission agency, 
It was a North American indigenous ministry. So it was a ministry to native Canadians. And little Thetis Island, I grew up there in the summers. Uh, and uh, I met the most wonderful people while I was washing dishes and cutting grass and growing up. They called me Q-tip because I had a big fluffy head of curly hair. I know it's hard to imagine, but that was, that was my name back in the day, Q-tip. So Q-tip would be there in the kitchen washing dishes. And on that island came a missionary. And he was one of the reasons that since I was about 14 years of age, I've always wanted to be a missionary. And God has brought me to the jungles of St. Catharines even now. But uh, there was a man there by the name of Don Richardson, an author and a missionary who told stories. Um, he had worked in uh, New Guinea at the time. It was called New Guinea among the Sawi people. And he had gone there as a missionary and anthropologist, hoping to bring the Christian message to these people in a very isolated tribe. And his message, the message of Jesus, kept colliding uh, with the values of this Sawi tribe. Christian values of love and forgiveness had no appeal for these people. Oh, he wrote the book called Peace Child. I don't know if you've read it. It's a wonderful book. I'd recommend it. The Sawi people held up deceit as the highest virtue. They saw no reason to change any of their cruelty, or in the old days, they were cannibals, in fact. They would kill and, and eat their enemies. In fact, when Richardson told the story of Jesus, only one incident, this is interesting, when he told the story of Jesus, only one person and one incident did they really, uh, uh, it sparked their interest. And it was the story of Judas. To the Sawi, Judas was the hero because he shrewdly penetrated into this group of disciples and before turning against Jesus and betraying him. And they thought Judas was number one. And that wasn't Don's idea. When he told the story of, of Jesus and, and, and his life, death, and, and, and betrayal and resurrection, it wasn't to focus on Judas. It was to focus on Jesus. But every time that he would try to share the story of Christ, the Sawi... Um, would always focus on the betrayal part and, and, and on Judas. And finally, after the 14th bloody battle fought outside of his house with, between the Sawi people and the Hanem, Hainam tribe, who were their, their, their enemies, um, he decided he would leave. There's nothing he could do. He had, he had been there years and years, and the interesting thing is they wanted him to stay. They loved him. But they weren't going to change. You know, you can stay as a missionary. He was bringing health care and education. You can stay and do those things. That whole Jesus thing they weren't interested in. They weren't going to change. But they wanted him to stay. So just before he left, the Sawi and their deadly enemies, the Hainam tribe, they held a ceremony in front of his home. And it was their final effort to try to keep the missionary there, to help the missionary, to help Don stay. The entire village gathered to watch the event, and all were silent except the Sawi chief's wife. And she was crying loudly, because what happened is that the chief went up to his wife and took their six-month-old baby boy and held him in the air, sort of Lion King style, held this child in the air while his wife was, was shrieking. And the chief carried his son over to the chief of the Hainam tribe. And he gave 
his son to the other tribe, to the other chief. A member of the tribe, of the Hainam tribe, received him. The chief gave the baby to second in command, and the chief gave the baby a new name. There and then. And the chief raised this child as his own. Um, and Richardson was, he didn't, he couldn't believe it. He knew that no Sawi could ever be trusted, since any action be, was probably a part of an elaborate deception of some sort. But that day he learned of one great exception, and that was the giving of, you can see it on, the peace child. The giving of the peace child. The chief's giving of his only son to his enemies, that profound, painful act would overcome all suspicion. And by mutual agreement, as long as that peace child lived, no wars could be fought between the two tribes. The peace child changed everything and brought peace between two warring peoples. And Don Richardson got it. He finally realized a parallel between Jesus and the Sawi beliefs and the Sawi culture. He gathered members of the tribe around him, and with a pounding heart and with a dry throat, he told them that God had sent a peace child, and his name is Jesus. He sent his own son, Jesus, to live among enemies and to make peace between God and man. Forever peace, a forever peace between God and man, between man, man, people and people, mankind, between all of us. Jesus was the peace child. So today we focus on peace and on our role in peacemaking. And I appreciated Phil's stories. There is a connection between peace and food. We eat, we grow food, we are invited to each other's dinner tables. We are called to be peacemakers. So how do our choices, food choices, contribute to peace with God, peace with others, and peace within ourselves? Well, we have some things we have to do, things that we are already doing. We have the opportunity to develop a greater gratitude for our food and a spirituality of eating. Let me encourage you not to eat in front of the television. Can you eat with one another? With your family? You can watch TV every now and then. But food, it's, it's an act of spirituality, receiving the food that we have with one another. There's a, there's a blessedness to eating together. Next, explore food security as a part of God's vision for security for all creation. Food security, where in the world do people not have enough food right now? How can we help? Recognize farmers as peacemakers. We are grateful for those of you who work on farms, who are involved somehow in the agricultural businesses, in caring for the land. And we need to pray for you and support you. We need to promote justice through 
gardening. How many of you love to garden? We, or used to love to garden. I know many of you, I've seen you in your, your gardens, big, beautiful gardens. You know, we, we ate squash this year that Paul planted. He planted a whole bunch. He, he dug up the garden on the back fence behind the uh, apartments. What, what, 20 feet did you do there, Paul? He dug up another 20 feet by 10, was it, or 20 by 15 or so? He planted all sorts of things. Paul has his magic beans. You ever seen Paul's magic beans, his three-foot-long beans? Have you seen those things? I ate them. <laughs> I wasn't sure, but I ate them. You know, you cut them up into normal bean-sized chunks, and they taste just like beans. It's amazing. But they're these big, long things that, uh, that you couldn't believe. And then we ate the squash. What kind were they again, Paul? The buttercup. Buttercup, promoting justice through gardening. Sorry? I, I, this was buttercup. There is a butternut. This was a buttercup. Trust me, Paul knows his squash. <laughs> justice through gardening. And we ate that, and we shared that, actually, at lunch at Scott Street. We, we'd like to produce some food that we could share with our community through lunch at Scott Street. And then lastly, making faithful choices at the grocery store. Making faithful choices at the grocery store. It was wonderful watching the children with the apple and the banana and the Cheetos, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. And helping them think about the story behind the food. All of our food has a story. The Bible speaks about food and peace. Genesis makes it clear that God is the one who created the world and sustained life and, given, and gave us the gift of food. This was God's idea. The story of manna in the wilderness. God is a cook. And he gave manna to his people when they didn't have any food. Jesus himself is referred to as the bread of life. The bread of life. And he calls his followers uh, to join him in making his kingdom a kingdom of justice and peace. The Bible speaks about food as a gift from God. Food is a sign of justice and discipleship as something that includes bringing healing and hope. Food brings healing and hope to our world. It wasn't long ago I was taught the Mennonite prayer that says, Thank you, God, for bread. Give bread to those who are hungry and hunger for justice to those who have bread. Thank you, God, for bread. We have the challenge of providing pastoral support in our church to farmers and uh, in our church to our local community. We pray for those of you who grow fruit, those of you who tend vineyards, those of you who care for your kitchen gardens, who, who enjoy fresh dill and basil and chives and herbs. Oh, it's so sad to look at my garden right now. My dear basil, it gave all year long, but uh, it has been frost-kissed. And it just, it's, it's gone. Can you show a little something there? The other day I had the opportunity to get up on a, a grape picking machine. There I am, hanging on for dear life with my iPhone in my hand, taking a picture as we go five kilometers an hour down the vineyard, picking grapes. And it was a wonderful experience. There's some of the grapes. Tons and tons of grapes are picked by those machines. Let us not take our food for granted. Let us not take peace for granted. 
When I was with the farmer on the field riding that huge grape-picking machine, it was fabulous. And what a wonderful world is, is the world of tending grapes, growing grapes. And, and, and I was speaking with, the, with some of the, the farmers about it, and it's such an interesting world. You know, I know so little about the grape industry. We need more farmers, not fewer. We need farmers because they're one of the few groups in our society still connected to the land. They live daily with the mystery of the interrelationship of biological processes, of sun and soil, of heat and growth. They see the constant cycle of renewal. Farmers know that doing everything right is no assurance of a bountiful crop. And it was really a gift to be out, on the, uh, out in the vineyards that day. I saw tears in the eyes of the farmer as I was speaking to him last week, and he explained how grateful he is to God for a good crop this year. The, the varieties that he grew grew very well. For a healthy crop, for customers who buy his products, for the health of himself and his family, for the gift of being a farmer. It was a wonderful day. We need to get involved. We need to learn about the many forces at work that shape our food, our food production service, our food production system. We need to live as people grateful to God for food. And just in case you think that food isn't a problem in Canada, here's my question to you. In one month in Canada, how many Canadians visit a food bank? In the average month, how many visits are there to a food bank in Canada? Across the country. We're about 34 million people. How many of the 34 million visit a food bank once a month? 100,000? 200,000? Half a million? Three quarters of a million? The number of people who visited a food bank in March 2018, just that, so it's a year and a half ago, was 1,095,000 Canadians. Sorry, I got it wrong. 1,095,935. I counted each one. No, they, they, they collect the statistics. Over a million Canadians needed food help during the month of March. 2018. And the statistics are same for this month. Food is a problem for many Canadians. How many of you had breakfast? Are you grateful? Yeah. We need to be grateful because there are Canadians today who didn't have food and they'll be out today visiting a food bank trying to find food for their children and for themselves. Let me finish with a story from Africa. I was flying into Addis Ababa, the capital of Ethiopia. As we were flying in, we flew over these huge, beautiful green fields. And I, they looked like wheat, but I knew it wasn't wheat. In fact, it was a, a, um, a grain called teff, T-E-F-F. They pronounce it teff, and that's what they use to make their njera, their breads. Beautiful fields of grain. I thought to myself, how could there have been a famine in Ethiopia? The country is, is, is emerald green, covered in, in fields of grain. After landing, uh, we were taken out to, to visit some fields, and I met some farmers, and I asked one, I said, I said I, as we were coming in, I saw thousands of acres of, of beautiful um, fields of grain. 
how could there be famine in Ethiopia? And he looked at me and he said, he said, there is no food without peace. And there is no peace without food. And he told me that that there was a political upheaval. And there's been for many years in Ethiopia. Farmers were afraid to go out into the fields and plant seeds because planting seeds was a political act. And for those who did risk going out and planting seeds, well, you can't hide seeds when you plant them. They grow. That's the whole plan. That's the whole point of planting seeds. But the issue was that the, the seeds that were planted when they grew, harvesting the grain was a political act. And your life was in danger if you collected the grain. Hunger, starvation, and death resulted. And over one million Ethiopians died in the great Ethiopian famine. A million people died And it's called the famine, and you think, oh, it must have just been the drought. Yes, it was. There were issues around around, uh, water and, and heat. There was a bit of a drought. But the issue was peace. There was no stability and peace in Ethiopia. There is no food without peace. And there is no peace without food. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for bread. Give bread, Father, to those who are hungry in our world today. And Father, for us who have food and have food in abundance, Father, help us to hunger for justice and peace. And help us as we remember and pray for those who do not have bread. Thank you, God for peace, and for bread. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For any questions about the message or to contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.